You're listening to a very special bootleg rebroadcast of the Almost 30 podcast featuring yours truly as the guest recorded over one year ago in February 2019. Now, this episode was recorded on the heels of my first trip to Costa Rica for four ayahuasca journeys at Rhythmia. And much of this conversation is centered around not only that experience, but the lessons that I learned while there undertaking that incredible experience. And many of those lessons are so pertinent to the issues that we face as a collective today. And that's why the girls and I decided to go ahead and drop this lost recording right now. What you're about to hear is all about that first trip, the intersection of addiction recovery and plant medicines, healing trauma at the core level, overcoming subconscious programs, awakening to my birth abandonment moment, the power of surrender as a way of life, the root of addictions and eating disorders, ET visitations and the messages of medicine, healing your heart to allow intimacy with yourself and others, how to make peace with your mind, the trap of guilt and shame and the fallacy of sin, the key to forgiveness, float chambers, kundalini yoga, and other tools for awakening, the biocharger and other tech devices to assist in upgrading your consciousness, the problems of human domestication and the sickness of indoor living, the importance of natural light, sun gazing, and why living behind glass wrecks your hormones and ultimately your health, and finally, why getting back to nature is the best supplement. And speaking of getting back to nature, I'd like to invite you to tune in again for our regular programming this Tuesday with Dr. Alexander Wunsch. That episode is called The Deep Science of Blue Light Toxicity and Why LED Trashes Your Health. And if you've heard the buzz around blue light from our devices and indoor lighting, fluorescent lights, LED lights, etc., Uh, Dr. Alexander Wunsch is arguably the foremost expert in the world on all things light. So if you're curious about uh, the fake science behind uh, avoiding sunlight and uh, the risks of wearing eyeglasses and contacts and living your life indoors, uh, Alexander is the guy to teach you. This is an incredible episode, so I highly encourage you to subscribe to the show so you don't miss that show. You're going to look at your blue blocking glasses uh, in a whole new light, no pun intended. Then Friday, we'll be dropping a very special episode that's quite timely with Nicholas Pinot, and that's called Censor This Podcast, The Non-Tinfoil Guide to COVID-19, 5G, and the EMF Crisis. So uh, those shows will be coming up this Tuesday and Friday to ensure that you don't miss them. Again, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast And now I'd like to invite you to enjoy this uh, advertising-free bonus episode of the Lifestylist podcast recorded one year ago, my guest appearance on the Almost 30 podcast. Enjoy the show. I always feel so lucky to be in Luke's lair. I know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's so nice. It's always feels... I didn't know guys could have good style until I met you. I was like, oh, (laughs) guys can be thoughtful about their space. (laughs) Well... I, I'm glad you feel that way because I still feel like I'm living in a garage with all mm. my stuff here having just moved in. So I'm getting there. I think it doesn't feel home yet because I don't have anything on the walls. I'm really yeah. big on... I mean, you guys remember my last place. Yeah. I had like all these gallery walls. Yeah. And I just collect art and photography and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it feels like when there's a bunch of white walls, I'm just like squatting Naked. in somebody else's like abandoned building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're getting there. 
I'm so excited to talk to you after you went to Rhythmia because Lindsay and I are going. So we're going in March doing ayahuasca. Oh my God. And I've never done it. So I'm so curious of like your experience. You've done it before. Rhythmia? No, no, really? no, no. Oh my God. No, I've never done that. Really? No way. I have not. Don't act like that's crazy. You have like the weirdest contraption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah, exactly. You are. You're like, oh my God, no, no. How dare you? Um, no. Prior, I mean, I had done a lot You've done of- every drug on I've done every drug on the planet except ayahuasca, I think. Yeah. Actually, in PCP, I never unfortunately got to try PCP. How was it? Um, Ayahuasca? Yeah. How was like the whole experience? It was amazing. And it was not something that I just did on a whim. Yeah. I didn't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to go do ayahuasca. It's the new trendy thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I interviewed a lot of people about it on the Lifestylist podcast. I. Uh, you know, I consulted with a lot of people that had done it and mm-hmm. that hadn't done it and got the consensus on it and also talked to quite a few people at Rhythmia. My case was, I think, a little bit unique because I used to do a lot of drugs and, you know, had a really horrific drinking problem mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, as I think I told you guys before. So, uh, prior to going to Costa Rica, I have not been intoxicated in any way in 22 years. So it wasn't something that I took lightly. I had to really give it some careful consideration. And um, one of the things that helped me arrive at the decision to partake was talking to the people at Rhythmia and um, getting the understanding that what they do, well, one of the things they do is really help people with addiction recovery and that they use that plant medicine to do so. And in fact, the founder, Jerry, who I'm sure you guys will meet and probably interview, funny, funny dude. He's amazing. He is, he's really special, uh, fun dude. Um, but he was like gnarly, gnarly, junkie, alcoholic. And he literally got, so he tried 12 steps. He did rehabs. None of that worked. And then he went and did Iboga, which is another plant medicine, a little more aggressive, a stronger one from Africa. Is it different than Ibogaine? Ibogaine is, is a is an isolate uh, isolate of, of Iboga. Um, of Iboga, yeah. So Iboga is the whole plant compound, and then Ibogaine is one of the active ingredients, and they use it to get people off opiates specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's clinics all over the world that use Ibogaine, and he went and did a ceremony with um, Iboga and was just like rendered clean and completely changed his entire character. I mean, not just became sober, but really had a spiritual awakening and became this loving, great guy and then was led to start Rhythmia. So there was um, some synergy there. And also the medical director, Jeff, who's, by the way, is an amazing interview on the kind of techie side of what ayahuasca does to the brain. He was the medical director at Passages, which is a huge rehab in Malibu for years. And he's a psychiatrist and specializes in addiction. And so he's there. And then on their board, they had Gabor Mate, who's also an addiction specialist. He's not on the board anymore. And Michael Beckwith um, of Agape fame is on the board. So mm-hmm. it's a super legit organization. And I think that was one of the things that really inspired me to go there and do it. I felt really safe. I felt taken care of. I didn't feel like I was going to delude myself and like, oh, I'm just going to go party and call it like a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are people that do that with plant medicine. They call it medicine, but they're really just partying and going to Burning Man. No judgment there, but it's a different experience, I think. So anywho, uh, did my due diligence and then then decided to go and was a little nervous about it. And um, through the whole process, I recorded... 
actually my other little recorders over there. I did little, you know, handheld mm. Zoom recordings yeah. on the, of the whole process. So like the morning I woke up to go to the airport, on the airplane, when I wow. landed in Costa Rica, before my ceremonies, after my ceremonies. I mean, as best as I could put sentences together, as you'll find. <laughs> it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. After you walk out of ceremony at 1.30 in the morning, you're not like, cool, I'll go record a podcast. Yeah. Um, but the next day I would kind of reflect on it. And then there's four interviews. So I'm going to do a whole series that will probably be a two or three part series about the whole like thing. Beautiful. It's going to be called uh, Welcome to the Jungle, My Ayahuasca Experience. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. I got to put it together, probably come out in May or something like that. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, there's so much to tell about it, but that's sort of the... The prep of it for me was to making sure that I was being really honest with myself about what my motive was. Did I really want to use it as a healing experience, as an awakening experience, or did I just want an excuse to go hallucinate? Yeah. Because I've, you know, I've tricked myself a lot in my life about my motives, especially in my past around drugs and things like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, I remember when I was one of the times when I had, um, become addicted to heroin. And then I got off it for about a year and I was like, oh my God, I'll never do that again. And then, you know, I still was in kind of the drug culture and stuff. Well, not kind of, I was very much immersed in the drug culture because I sold drugs for a living. And one of my customers came over and he's like, hey, you want to smoke some opium? I was like, opium? Well, that's not heroin. Yeah, that sounds great. And then he busted it out and I was like, "Mm, no, that's tar heroin. And I knew, but I still did it. Mm -hmm. But I tricked myself. No, no, it's cool. I'm just being like a hippie. This is opium. It's no big deal. We're just going to relax and Mm -hmm. have some tea, you know? Mm -hmm. And then of course, so ensues five more years of being strung on heroin. So I approach these things with kid gloves and I'm very cautious and prudent about them. Mm Mm-hmm. But the experience was absolutely fantastic. You know, it's just a really well-oiled machine. The whole yeah. organization, the people there, I mean, the whole staff, the food, the sleeping quarters, it's its really high-end. There's a spa. Um, the people that are leading the ceremonies have done hundreds of ceremonies. Wow. And the different medicine that they work with are from different places from around the world. And they all have sort of a different sort of um, uh profile in terms of their effects on you. And it's just really well thought out. And they've brought, you know, 4,000 people at this point through that process. So it's not like some, you know, new age kids in a garage and Joshua tree, like, oh, let's have an experience. I know. That's what everyone was like, oh, you could go to a house in Beverly Hills and do it. You know, people do it here, but it's like... I, for me, I, I needed to be away from the city a and just being like a really clean environment the energy of the land there is also very stellar i mean i'd never been to costa rica but it's just amazing it's very mm-hmm. it's not very densely populated and especially in i mean there are cities and towns of course but out where this is it's just kind of in the middle of nowhere it's on the pacific side versus the caribbean side and um, there's just not a lot there so there's not a lot of static interference from the environment there's like no cell towers it's just super still energy and you just hear the wind. And so mm-hmm. it's like being in, and I would, I call it the jungle, but it's actually this particular climate. It's a little more arid. Mm-hmm. It's kind of desert jungle vibes. Um, tropical deserty. It's kind of, it's quite dry. Uh, that time of year, there is a wet season, of course, but it was a dry season, but it still has jungle vibes. You see iguanas, you hear strange birds that you've never heard. There's just, a, you know, this warm wind blowing through and it was a very, natural environment but you also have like a really good mattress <laughs> you know what I mean like a nice big shower <laughs> hot water filtered water organic yeah. food so it's very high end but you're not in 
the city. Mm. What was your preparation like? I know that there's, I mean, you're already like clean as a whistle. And yeah. like, I feel like your vessel was probably prepped already, but was there anything extra that you were doing before? Well, they give you uh, advice on uh, what to eat prior. It's called the dieta, the diet. And so you don't eat red meat. You don't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how'd that I, go? you know, it's funny. I, I thought I was totally addicted to coffee. And then they were like, yeah, don't drink. I think they said a week, but a friend of mine said, no, you should really do two weeks of the dieta just to be, you know, uh, more pure, I guess. And, um, and it's so strange because it was really easy to not drink coffee. I just was like, I'm not drinking coffee, whatever. Yeah. It actually was no big deal, which is weird. I guess I've never really tried, but I always feel like I couldn't do it if I wanted yeah. to. You know? <laughs> I think it's because everyone always says they're like, gotta have my coffee. And yeah. you're like, yeah, gotta have my coffee. And people say you get headaches and all this stuff. I was yeah. like, I'm fine. I, it was actually a cool experience to have knowing that I could I think could you take have really clean it. coffee though too. Like, don't you have like not no mold? Like you probably have yeah. really high quality coffee. And I yeah. think people have shitty coffee, coffee a lot of times. That's That's true. That's true. Yeah, I was actually just telling a friend of mine about the fact that, well, coffee and potatoes are like neck and neck for the two most um, sprayed foods on the planet, like in terms of commodity food products. Yeah. So if you're drinking coffee that's not organic, you're just by default taking in a shitload of pesticides. And also there's the mycotoxins issue, the mold, which is what made yes. Bulletproof Coffee so famous mm -hmm. is they're um, one of the only brands, I think they were the only that tested for mold. They're not the only brand of coffee that doesn't have mold, but they're one of the only ones that test to make sure that they don't and they can show you their lab results to prove that. But a lot of people that think they're sensitive to caffeine are actually just sensitive to the mold mm -hmm. in the coffee because they're drinking mm. really shitty coffee from multiple estates grown at low altitudes where it's very humid. Mm. So when they ferment the coffee beans, they can mold and then even though they wash the mold off so the beans look clean, they still have the poop of the mold, which is called mycotoxins. They have a lot of times it's like the gluten in the United States is a lot of the mold that's been sitting on the barley and the wheat and the right. rye, right? And yeah, so that's yeah. what, it's really the mold that is causing people to have issues with digesting gluten rather than the actual product itself. It's yeah. because we spray it so much and then there's so much mold. That's and the then we spray it for the mold and, you know. Yeah, that's the issue with a lot of grains is if you drive through Kansas, you'll see these giant silos that are full of corn and wheat and soybeans and they're cut wet, you know, and then they're not um, properly cured or dried. And then they're put in these big storage containers and shipped around on trucks and trains and everything else. And so, yeah, um, they're very prone to mold those types of foods. So it's mm -hmm. not only that the grains are inflammatory, but then you add the mold because of the storage and that's why those foods became popular and are so lucrative because they don't go bad. Mm -hmm. You know, wow. rice, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I digress. Um, so that was the, the preparation. And then just making sure I had all my ducks in a row and had all my work done so that I could kind of relax yeah. there. Um, I was, because I was documenting the experience as sort of a journalist, uh, is kind of how it felt. It was mm -hmm. my first trip where I went into another culture where people speak a different language and, and did kind of a report on that experience. I was afraid that doing the journalism part of it would detract yeah. from, a the, scared of that. from the spiritual experience. But I'll tell you, and, and hopefully you'll have the same experience. To me, I mean, it was a lot of just having a good attitude about it and turning around that perception that yeah. it would take away from the experience. But doing the, I did one interview with Brandy, um, the co-founder in LA before I left, which was great because it kind of helped me prep. Yeah. 
But then the three interviews that I did there were actually part of my integration process. Mm, I love that. So wow. I felt I kind of got like VIP treatment in a sense because I got to sit down and interview Jerry mm-hmm. where, I mean, if you're there, you might see him at lunch and have a chat with him, yeah. but you're not going to sit down for two hours and be like, Jerry, explain to me what just happened. Yeah. So it was like having sort of private consultations throughout like the week that I was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then especially the one I interviewed Christian who does the breath work and then Jeff, as I said, the medical director and especially Jeff because he has um, so much history in addiction recovery and he could explain like what's going on with your neurotransmitters and with all the different parts of your brain and what the actual um, psychoactive elements of ayahuasca do to the brain and how they heal trauma and help you to overcome negative habits and uh, patterns of thought and behavior and things like that and how, um, how it actually works on a scientific level. And, you know, that it gets people off psych meds that have been on for years and Mm. makes people that are bipolar not that way anymore. I mean, it's the healing capacity of that plant is insane. So doing the interviews while I was there was actually really cool. And then, um, you know, speaking with a couple of friends back home that have had a lot of experience with plant medicines, I thought, oh, I'm just going to like not talk to anyone. But I actually had some great conversations and really became closer with some people in my life that had had that experience and that was something that we couldn't share. Mm. And so I was able to call some people and go, oh my God, so in ceremony last night, guess what happened? They're like, oh yeah, you saw the ETs. I get it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's like, what I've heard. Yeah. So it, mm, it, as much wait. as like I thought the experience was going to be diminished by not fully retreating from the world and still being engaged with social media and I'm doing Facebook Lives and the interviews and talking to friends back home to a degree it was actually supportive of the experience. Wow. So, yeah. Good to know. What was your, you said like your motive going in, are you willing to share kind of what, why you said yes to the experience? You know, I mean, you guys know me. I'm just full on. If there's something you can do that's going to make you healthier or happier and I believe there's any validity to it, I'm going to do it. I'm just all in. It's just part of my personality. I think because I spent um, the majority of the early part of my life doing things to change the way I feel that had such negative consequences. Now I'm, it's almost like I've turned that same habit or desire um, where I'm just obsessed with feeling good and getting better and healing. It's like a positive obsession, I think. So if there's something that comes along I observe for a while and I can verify that it has benefited people that I know have integrity and I know are intelligent enough to be discerning as to what's helping them and what's not. I mean, when I meet enough people that tell me their direct experiences with ayahuasca, I mean, I've met people with addiction issues. Um, I've talked to people that have had all sorts of personality disorders, um, really self-destructive behaviors of all types that literally went and did ayahuasca once and never went to therapy, never went to 12 steps, never did any of that. And they're just fixed. Wow. So I'm like, huh, there's still shit I need to work on. And I think for me to be specific, it was just having the understanding that most of the things that trigger me or push my buttons or cause me to feel negative emotions or get me stuck in patterns of behavior that don't serve me or those that I'm in relationship with, that those all are a result of trauma. And this is something I'm just, you know, as I zero in on like what really makes people tick and what my issues have been in my life, it's from those early experiences 
that, especially in the first seven years, mm-hmm. that really scar us. And yeah. then those experiences live in our subconscious. And I just interviewed Bruce Lipton the other day, who's, oh my God, if you guys haven't had him on, wow. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant guy. He wrote a, I mean, he's written a bunch of books, but The Biology of Belief is one mm-hmm. of the main ones. And he's a scientist who was an atheist who kind of discovered this quantum level of Oh, the influence of belief on your biology and your cells and then became deeply spiritual and scientific, really fascinating guy. But he was explaining to me the fact, it's not like a spiritual theory, that 95% of what drives us is our subconscious. Yeah. Right? And these are things that we just get entrained by, um, especially in the first seven years because you're in a theta brainwave state. And so you're you know, nature designed us that way to pick up cues from the environment and to learn about how to survive essentially. And so if you experience trauma and abuse during those first seven years, that really sets the course for the rest of your life because only 5% of your conscious mind dictates your actions and behaviors and relationships and things you do for work and all the decisions you make, you're literally being driven by your subconscious. Mm. So as I've grown more aware of some of the trauma that I've experienced in life, and not just as a kid, but then later on, just being a dumbass and yeah. you know, traumatizing myself by my own behavior <laughs> and just being self-destructive and putting myself in really horrible situations with super toxic people. And I just, I hurt myself a lot also mm-hmm. um, in that my intention really with the ayahuasca, which is very much in alignment with Rhythmia, is to heal my heart, you know, and your heart is where those mm-hmm. those deep wounds reside and I have a strong desire to not behave um, and react to life based on my past experiences. So say, and I'm entering into a relationship, I don't want that relationship to be colored by situations in the past in which I was hurt because that's a different person and it's a new situation. And I also don't want to recreate in a Groundhog Day sort of way and manifest situations that are going to give me repeats of that trauma over and over again because it hasn't been healed. There's a lot of ways you can heal trauma um, and I've healed a lot of mine in so many different ways. But um, I was hoping and I think this was fulfilled that the plant medicine, which I still feel like full of shit calling it that because when you're on it, you're like, I'm on drugs. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you're high as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so Is it like feel high? Well, I'll get, yeah, I'll, yeah, get, yeah, I'll yeah. get to that because that's what's really interesting. My experience was, I think, very different than most of the other people there and other people really? that, I've, yeah, that I've talked to. I mean, I was having a blast straight up most of the time. But um, <laughs> that this medicine would be sort of a fast track to heal the heart in a passive way. And I knew what would be required was a full surrender to the experience, which is why I did so much research and I was so prudent about making a decision to go do it because I knew once I was there and once I swallowed a cup of this weird syrup that I was going to be all in and I was going to allow it to do what it was meant to do and not fight the experience in any way, which is in fact what thankfully I was able to do. So um, all in all, I think my intention was to just like move past um, any trauma still lingering as much as humanly possible so that I can have a new experience and do a podcast like this and have a little less fear of wanting wanting people to like me or Mm. having that underlying sense of shame and having that like nervousness. Oh, did I just say that? And like self-consciousness and all of that shit. It's like all of that comes from feeling like a piece of shit when you're a kid because you were told that or you were hit or yelled at or 
neglected or abandoned or abused or whatever. And then that is the person that makes 95% of you up as a 48 year old. And then has you sitting in a podcast going, oh my God, these girls think I'm talking too much. The audience hates me. Like all that, you know, all that self-consciousness and shit. I see like so directly where it all stems from now. And so my intention going in was like, no, I want to open full heart and I want to have a fuller expression of love for myself and acceptance of myself Mm -hmm. so that I can make the biggest contribution in the world that in the short time that I'm here without being hindered by those self-imposed restrictions that I was so unconscious of. It's beautiful. So that's, you know, I mean, that's kind of the intention of everything that I do. Were you able to, so the memories that you were thinking about, you know, before you were seven, could, before this experience, could you recall those? And were you able to, or did that help you recall those and then more fully understand how those had shaped you? It's interesting. A lot of people that do plant medicine, they have realizations of experiences that they didn't know before. I know. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So that didn't happen. I'm like scared. Actually, no, I did <laughs> like, oh. No, no, you're going to be great. If I'm telling you, if you just trust the intelligence of that plant, which sounds weird. When I used to hear people talk like that, I was like, dude, you need less plant, more therapy. You're fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but I, once, you, once you have the experience, you're like, I, I don't... It's, I don't know if it's the plant that has yeah. intelligence or if it opens other portals or dimensions in which is. there is intelligence. I, it maybe is both, but I kind of got the sense. Like I wasn't like talking to the plant. A lot of people are like, Mother Ayahuasca, do this and that. I'm like, it's a plant, okay? Everything's conscious and plants are conscious. That's been proven. Plants know when you walk by them in the forest. I mean, there's research on this. There's the yeah. hidden life of plants. There's all that, okay? But... <laughs> I don't think that a plant can have the intelligence to see the shit that I was seeing. But what happens is something happens in your brain under the DMT that allows these other dimensions to become open to you. And in those dimensions, there are other forces and other intelligences that allow you to see things that you couldn't see or to see things in a different way from a different perspective. Mm. So for me, on the fourth night, there's four nights of ceremony, I had... um, a real horrible time. That was the only night that I did not enjoy. And that's the most intense. That yeah, night, that right? night. Yeah, but it's a different medicine. It's it's a different brew. It's from Colombia. The other mm-hmm. ones were from, um, one was from Brazil and one was, the vines were from um, Peru, but it was one, one night's Brazil, one night's Peru. One night, I think some of the vines are from Peru and or Brazil and they cook it actually on the premises. Wow. So it's kind of native to Costa Rica in its preparation. But for whatever reason, the fourth night, the Yahe night, which was the stuff from Colombia, was not <laughs> did not enjoy that night at all. I had no psychoactive effects. I just felt super sick for hours and hours and hours. I never threw up the whole time I was there, but I just like felt horrible and I was not having any sort of awakenings or breakthroughs or any sort of pleasurable experience mm. at all on the fourth night. But one thing that I did experience, which was really interesting... The only like cognitive realization I had other than it was just like, Luke, don't give up, like hang in, just fucking trust. Even though you're hating this night, something positive is still happening to you. You just don't feel that way. And I'm kind of having to coach myself through it. But I did have this one brief visual where I was in a hallway and it occurred to me that it was in a hospital. And then this is super fast. I mean, time isn't really relevant when you're under the influence of ayahuasca. Mm. So you don't know if it was a two hour thing or a two minute thing, but I felt like this is pretty fast in the midst of just laying there hating my life all night, uh, was that, um, 
it's in this hospital and there's a door and I'm like, oh, I'm being born in there. And so I was led through the door and then there was my mom and there was nurses and doctors and there's me, bloody little, you know, one minute old Luke coming out of the vagine of mom (laughs) and fucking the nurses take me all bloody and set me on her chest. And then they grab me and whisk me away and take me to another room and put me in an incubator in this little glass Mm. box and just leave me there. Mm. And I was like, duh, I'm supposed to be held more. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it was, and then it was kind of over and that was it. And then I went back to just like, oh my God, I feel sick. When is this going to end? And the next day I sent my mom a text and I was like, hey, um, I'm in Costa Rica doing ayahuasca. <laughs> you know, she, it was so funny when she responded, she was never like, wait, what? You're doing what? <laughs> totally. She was just like, yeah, so here's the deal. But I was like, so here's a vision I had. And I explained what I just explained to you. And she went, wow, that's interesting because that's exactly what happened. But the exception wow. was that you were, they wrapped you in a little blanket and then I held you. You weren't just like on my bare chest. And then the nurses took you away put you in an incubator and I wasn't allowed to touch you at all for two or three days, nor was anyone else. Wow. Yeah, because oh. there was they didn't know when her water had broken and there was a risk of infection. And so what I sense was happening was that was my f- very first post-birth trauma. I mean, there might've been, you know, there could be trauma in the womb if your parents are screaming at each other or mom wow. falls down or mom's in a car accident. I mean- or listening to Metallica or whatever. Like there could be, there could be like other- Living between two salt towers. There, there, yeah, there could be other trauma or negative experiences before you're actually out of mom's body. But that was the first one. And it, I had the realization, holy shit, that I was, I experienced abandonment, you know, mm. because uh, a natural human you know, living on the land, I mean, you would be coddled by not only your mother, but other members of the tribe. If you were in a hunter-gatherer tribe of 50 or 60 people, as we've evolved to be, that it would be highly unlikely that you would ever be wow. separated from that human touch. And I'm not trying to whine or feel sorry for myself, but it was a, realiza- a realization that came. So that was the only thing that happened that I didn't know. Now, yeah. I, I did know, I did have the, um, the knowledge that I was in an incubator at some point because my grandmother used to tell me the story when she first came to see me, how cute I looked in this little incubator. But I didn't know anything else. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I thought that was interesting because... I, something re- was revealed to me that ended up being factual that I didn't know on a conscious level. And then it was confirmed by a third party, which would have been my mom. She was like, yeah, actually, that's what happened. She said it sucked, you know? Mm. So other than that, but going back to um, the things that I was aware of, yeah, in the first seven years, I mean, there was parents divorcing, there was sexual abuse, there was, uh, you know, both my parents, I think, were in earlier stages of development and um, the stage that my dad was in when I was a kid is he was a pretty angry guy and was had a difficult time accessing softness and sensitivity and love. And he loved me and I got the sense that he loved me, but he was just suffering a lot. He was in a lot of pain when he was younger and he was really angry. He was just a rough guy, you know? And so um, I think what happened in the the, it was on night three that I had some realizations of those early traumas. And it wasn't that I saw anything that I couldn't see before. What I saw was uh, on uh, on a much deeper level than I ever have, because I've talked about these things. I've been in therapy. I've written about them. I've inventoried them. I mean, I've done neurofeedback. I've done all sorts of healing around those first formative years in which I experienced various degrees of trauma, neglect, abandonment, whatever. But I saw the depth at which I was hurt, like I've never seen. Wow. And that 
would seem maybe like a negative or scary experience to some. But for me, because I knew that I was being healed as I was sort of having visions of that and having the realization of how deeply um, I had been hurt, it was actually really enjoyable, um, as weird as that might sound. So I'm laying there on my ayahuasca mat, you know, just crying and going like, holy shit, that really fucked me up. I mean, those are kind of the thoughts I was like, what the fuck? I had no idea that some of the abuse that I had experienced and and all that, um, just how profoundly it hurt me and damaged me psychologically. And God, no wonder I ended up, you know, becoming a drug addict and going down the, you know, the road that life led me or that I led myself down. So that was deeply healing because I think in order to overcome a problem, you really have to feel the gravity of it. You know, you really have to face it head on. And that medicine has a way of going like, you know, putting on a giant movie screen in front of you. And they're like, this is you age five. This is how bad this fucking hurt you. And so it was a really healing experience. And because I think um, I've done some work and it wasn't the first time I've contemplated these events or experiences that I've had, I was really able and willing to fully surrender into it and just go, bring it on. Let's fucking do this. Like, let me see everything. And I just kept, I mean, I literally would lay there in a very open body posture with my hands up and I would just lay there and just be like, come on, let's do this shit. And I would talk to the medicine, talk to God. Mm. Out loud? Um, or is it like yeah, Sometimes eye? out loud. Yeah. A lot of people talk out loud, which is I really know, funny. Does that annoy uh, you? No, man. Because when you're on the medicine... <laughs> It's so hard to explain. And you guys will soon know when you're in a room with all those people and there's music, there's rattles, there's all these shamanic instruments and chanting and smells and smoke and just crazy shit going on. But what's really interesting is the auditory experience on ayahuasca is that you can't, as you lay there with your eyes closed, you can't tell where any of the sounds are coming from and they're all the same volume. So it, because you lose the tactile contact Mm -hmm. with your body and what happens is you sort of disassociate and your consciousness is just in the room in this energy field, in this grid of a different dimension in which your mind, emotions, body are sort of pushed to the side and you're just conscious, but you're still hearing with your physical ear. But you can't tell if the guy over there who's mumbling is like right next to you or 50 feet away and you don't know where the speakers are and somebody's like doing a shaman dance and stomping near you and then you open your eyes, you're like, they're not near me, they're way over there. And it's really weird. You hear everything at once as if there's sort of this um, uh, universal soundscape in which nothing has any real distinction of distance or volume. It's really, really weird. So it's not distracting Mm. so much when someone's talking. Although the first three nights, like I was laughing a lot and just like I was really having a good time. (laughs) I wonder Um, if the drugs helped you like just surrender. Well, I think, you know, I've been surrendering every moment of every day for 22 years. I mean, Mm. to me, that was, that's what I was taught in recovery is like the way to not repeat the hell that you put yourself through in your life is to surrender to God. I mean, Mm. there's just no other way to say it whatever God looks like. Um, I just call God, God, because it's mm-hmm. short and easy to say. It's a loaded word for some people, but I just, I just, it's not even a belief. I just know there's an intelligent force, yes. an unseen hand that's running everything all the time, whether we believe it or not, think so or not. And the more that I can surrender to that intelligence and that love and that benevolent force, that the better my life goes. So 
you know, if my camera stops working right now, surrender. You know, I stub my toe, surrender. Uh, my Vitamix fucking flies across the room and poof, sprays smoothie everywhere. When I just woke up, surrender. The girlfriend wants to leave, surrender. You know, the house has mold in it. Fuck, surrender. It's just mm-hmm. everything is surrender, surrender. Every negative experience all the time. So, yeah, I had a much easier time, I think, than many people there based on what I could observe and and um, listening to their feedback because other than the fourth night, I didn't have any fight. And so as those feelings and realizations came up, I just really went full on into it rather than running away from the storm or like, oh my God, I don't want to face this darkness or this pain. I was just like, no, give me more. Let me see everything. Show me everything. And what I was shown was you thought you got hurt by some of the shit that happened, but let me show you what really happened. And there I, you know, I can see myself as a little boy, four, five, six, seven, ten, whatever. And just like, holy shit, looking at little Luke just get completely fucking devastated by those experiences, which sounds sad and it is sad, but what's really sad is having your life driven by those experiences and having no clue that's why you the way you why you are the way you are. And why you have patterns that you're living out that you can't see and that you have no power to stop even if you do see them. And so you sit in therapy for 20 fucking years. You have compulsions. You have anxiety. You have depression. You have mental disorders. You have an eating disorder. You have whatever kind of disorder and you have no idea why and you can't stop it because you have not been shown or been willing to face or able to face those things that scarred you. And so now life is very uncomfortable and painful and you can't feel good in your own skin. And so you have to seek other ways, whether it's a Chanel bag or taking too many vacations or eating Mm -hmm. sugar, smoking cigarettes. Yeah. You know, it's like all the things we, all humans, we all have our medicine, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, running to from relationship to relationship or avoiding intimacy in relationships and having sex with a million people or watching porn or, you know, any of those things we do, which I'm not against any of those Mm -hmm. methods of coping. They all serve their purpose. But at a certain point, most of them um, have negative consequences. Yeah. And so it's like, it's sort of a double jeopardy because we get harmed in our formative years. And then that scars us in a way that we need to anesthetize ourselves as adults. And then we form these patterns and then we hurt ourselves even more. And then we start self-traumatizing and compounding the original trauma. And that's when you end up with really neurotic, fucked up people that end up not only hurting themselves, but hurting other people hurt people, hurt people. And so my desire is to become less hurt and more healed so that I can heal other people because healed people heal people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, can't, um, I can't wait. I want to interview you guys after I know, your experience. Like, Truly. Have either of you ever done any psychedelics at all? Like Chris mushrooms has. or acid? Mm-hmm. What has. did you do before? Mushrooms and acid. Just for fun? Like in mm-hmm. high school and stuff? I was in Amsterdam. I did mushrooms. Okay. And then I did acid. And I've done it like one other time and I don't did acid one time at a music festival. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I really loved it. I yeah. felt like it was and same with like MDMA. Like, you know, I, I ended up being bad in the end for me, but and I probably have like holes in my brain, but I felt like it was really cool to like experience other things. And it really does show you magic in a way. And I know that sounds really dangerous, but for me it was like really eye opening you know, doing all of those things to know that like our brain had that capacity or something has that capacity on us. Yeah. Well, having had some of those experiences, yeah. it you'll likely feel a familiarity mm-hmm. as it starts to overtake you. 
<laughs> it's a strange feeling. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, I drink the medicine and then I would just go back and meditate. You also do something mm-hmm. called um, cool. hape, which is this tobacco. You kind of, they shoot up your nose, this powdered sort of snuff type thing, which sets you up and it really stills your mind. So you do that and you're kind of like spitting because it's super nasty and you don't want to swallow it. But that really does sort of quiet your mind. And then you just sit there on your mat and I would just meditate. And at times it would be 20 minutes and then I'd just go, oh shit. And you start yeah. to see start to see stuff. And then sometimes it'd be like an hour and a half and nothing's really happening. It's so strange the way the medicine mm. comes and goes. Wow. And then you'll feel it really strong and then you'll think it's gone. Like I would walk outside and go lay in a hammock, look at the fire. Be like, well, you know, look at my watch. Kind of, oh, I guess that's wrapping up. I'll just go back inside and kind of take a nap. Walk back inside and just, <laughs> it's on again. You know? <laughs> it's really weird because having done a lot of mushrooms and acid earlier in life, um, you know, it, it, it starts to hit you, it ramps up, then you peak and then it starts to subside over a number of hours. And then once you're done, you're done. Like you don't really, I never had flashbacks. Like I know once I was starting to come down that I was coming down, but ayahuasca will sneak back in. Like one night I was in my room, this is like three hours after it ended and the ceremony had ended maybe an hour, go back in my room eat a little fucking rice ball or something, lay in bed and just, I'm like, no, 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 no. I was like, yeah, I was like, no, 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 we're done. You know? And I'm like, literally then I'm talking to the medicine, like, listen, I appreciate the bonus round, but I'm so, I'm so good right now. I'm, I'm good. And then, you know, just proceeded to lay there and kind of. Did it like when I talked to ghosts? No, it didn't. No, it went on for, yeah, two or three more hours. Yeah. Wow. Holy mackerel. Are your eyes closed or can you have your eyes open and you're seeing? You can do whatever, but I found that when I was on the medicine that I felt most comfortable if I was completely still and really just remember to breathe because you'll kind of forget to breathe because it's such an overwhelming experience that you're like, oh, wait, there's a body here. Um, but I like to be very still and keep my eyes closed, you know, because there's yeah. sort of like a nauseous, dizzy-ish feeling to it, which I don't enjoy at all. So as still as I could be, that was that was the best um, move for me. And and the shaman will also say like, yeah, the medicine likes stillness. It's oh, not wow. the kind of thing where you're going to want to get up and sprint around the building. Like dance. <laughs> yeah, no. What What's interesting is the people leading the ceremonies are also taking the medicine and they're walking around and helping people and like running the the playlist and like they're organizing the whole thing and supporting the group while wow. they're also on the medicine, which to me was staggering. I didn't find that out until the third night. I went and talked Whoa. to uh, one of the girls, Sarah. She does ladies night. If if she's there, you guys are gonna have an amazing experience. She's outstanding. But yeah, she was like, oh yeah, we're all, we all take the medicine with you. That's how we create the grid. And I was like, wait, you what? You're walking around and dancing and shaking. Full right. or microdose. I, I don't, I think the whole deal, but these are people that have done it hundreds of times. So yeah. they're able to learn how to sort of function. I mean, it's like when I used to smoke weed, I mean, I could do everything, but you think mm-hmm. you can do everything better when you're super high. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you learn how to function under the influence of stuff. I mean, yeah. even alcohol. I mean, everyone thinks they're a better driver drunk, but I mean, I drove drunk for years and I never had an accident or anything. <laughs> you know, I don't advise that Literally, or condone that Literally, I thought you were going to be like dancer. Everyone no, thinks they're no, a better no, dancer no. drunk than No, like I used driver. to get like, like shit-faced drunk and just go no. out and drive around just for fun. Yeah, wow. Because it's fun to drive drunk. Don't do it, it's kids. It's not fun to drive drunk. For me, Whoa. it was. That's terrible. What, yeah. um, I Honestly, and I, I'm not condoning that behavior. I'm not proud of that. Of Trust me, I put many people's lives in danger. I'm just saying, I'm trying to illustrate 
illustrate the point mm-hmm. that you do get accustomed to being under the influence. And I think the shaman that do choose to partake in the medicine at the same time, it's not as overwhelming to them. So they can have their eyes open and talk and kind of be normal. Mm-hmm. What is like a message or a lesson that you could tell, you know, the audience or the people listening that you felt like you got from the experience that they could, you know, learn from not if they didn't, weren't going to do ayahuasca? Oh, for sure. On the third, well, the first two nights, I had no words in my mind. I had no visions that made any sense. There was no thought. There were no like real feelings other than just joy. I think the first two nights, what the consciousness of the medicine or the entities or whatever it is that guide you through that Mm -hmm. were just like getting my attention. I was like, watch this motherfucker. And I was just floored. I'm just on my back going, oh, this is what I kept, this is what I kept saying to myself the first two nights. Cause I took some notes and stuff too. I have a journal right over there and I would lean over and like in the dark, like scribble stuff down. (laughs) You would like get on your thing. You're like, hello, I've just started. (laughs) You're like recording it. The thing that kept coming to me was you've got to be fucking kidding me. That was the thing I kept saying because I would see stuff and then I'd be like, okay, you got to be fucking kidding me. And then it would get more intense and more hardcore. And then I would go, now you've really got to be fucking kidding me. So the first two <laughs> nights were just like, holy shit. I couldn't believe the stuff I was seeing, the sensations I was having. A lot of it, was it otherworldly or was it your yeah, life? No, no. See, some people, they see plants and earthly things yeah. and spirit animals and this kind of stuff. For me... Every time I would close my eyes and see things, they were all of a really sort of um, sci-fi, mechanical, E.T. nature. Mm. They were like ships made of light and like abduction kind of energy, you know, where like you're just floored to the mattress like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can't move. And then I would see like this sort of, not a spaceship because there wasn't any form or like metal or like parts or anything, but just very mechanical and sci-fi. And then it would sort of scan my whole body. I would feel these tingling sensations like go from my skull like and all these weird sounds and you'd see the thing like hovering over you, this sort of bean of light and all these geometric shapes, but it was like scanning you and then it would like straighten out stuff in your body and yeah, like fix your brain. You could feel wiring in your brain going, getting like sorted out. And it's like very passive. I wasn't doing anything. It was happening to me. And then having the same thing happen with my heart, there was one point, and you're not, I'm not like intentionally making this go anywhere because I'm just fully surrendered and just very passive, like very yin energy, just like receiving mode. Mm. Not like I'm going to like make this ayahuasca fix me. Yeah, I'm just going, do whatever you're supposed to do. I'm going to roll with whatever is meant to happen here. But there was one point where this sort of telescoping electronic light beam thing kind of went and kept folding out and getting closer and closer to me and then locked into my heart. And sort of connected in um, like a latch or a lock and like locked into my heart and then started fixing my heart. Wow. Yeah. And it, it sounds nuts, but when you're in the experience, it's not that you're imagining it. It's actually what's happening. Yeah. And I know that because I'm... I mean, I feel mm. completely healed and so much different. But anyway, the first two nights... You seem different. Yeah, I, I was... I, the first two say. nights, I'm just... I'm laughing my ass off. Other people are retching, ah, puking, crying, <laughs> screaming. 
Why do you think that people are because people are at different levels of healing and yeah. So I mean, some people walk in there, they've never even had a beer or been to therapy or anything, and they're just like, Cool, I'll try this. And so their experience is gonna be quite different than wow. someone who's been meditating for twenty two years. And I'm not trying to say like I'm above them or yeah. something like that, but mm-hmm. I've I have done some work. So I think my soil was tilled in a different way than perhaps some of the other people. And again, not every person gave their feedback. So I don't know what every single person was experiencing, but based on lying there and the fact that I'm laughing my ass off the whole time for the first two nights, especially, and other people are crying and screaming and puking. And I'm like, is anyone else laughing? I can't hear anyone else laughing at all. I'm just giggling. And then I'm going, you got to be fucking kidding me over and over again. And I'm having the best time ever. And I'm, I know that I'm being healed. Um, but to your, to your point, to your question rather, uh, for takeaways for someone that has not had that experience or doesn't plan to lessons that I could take away would have been on the third night. And there was a lot of activity on that night. Like I had a lot of, um, not just visions, but a lot of revelations. A lot of things were revealed to me like, Oh, I see this is connected to that. And that's the night where I saw myself as a kid and was able to track the different experiences that I'd had and really see how deeply I was hurt and acknowledge that and accept that and be willing to heal that on a level um, deeper than I ever have before. On that night, there were a couple of really good takeaways. And these I wrote in my little journal too. And I'm, I'm going to relay all of this on the episode that I do because I'm going to do kind of a cul- culmination mm-hmm. wrap up, obviously. We're going to release it first. So No, it's great. I mean, I'll, I'll share it on a million podcasts because it was, it was so profound. But there was so many times in which my mind was so quiet. It was like it wasn't even there. And like on those first two nights, as I was describing, there were no thoughts. There was no me talking to anyone or anything else and it talking back to me. There was literally just laying there and experiencing pure consciousness and experiencing this other dimension or other dimensions in which mind was not necessary. Emotions were not necessary. The body was not necessary. You're just sort of floating in this energy field and working within this field and interacting with it and um, having those, not just visions, but really experiences of light and all of the interesting science fiction ET shit sort of going on. But the third night there was all of that. Plus there were thoughts and realizations and I'm words are coming to me and words are sort of joining together and separating. Mm. And I'm writing down like plays on words that I've never thought of and having, you know, more um, conscious awakenings mm. that I think I could take away and perhaps share. You like redid your iTunes art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I wish. Uh, one, one of them was, uh, was this, I, I was asking, and when I say asking, it could be the medicine or consciousness or guides or God, whomever, maybe all of the above. But I said, I was laying there and there was no thought and there was no feeling. There was kind of no body and there was just pure bliss and feeling deeply connected to reality, but at the same time experiencing reality in a different way than I ever have. And I asked the question, is this what it's like to be dead? And it was just so quiet. And ask again, am I dead? Is this what it like? it's like after you die? And I don't know that I got an answer. I don't remember. But that's the sense that I got. Because when you die, your body ceases to be energized. Mm-hmm. But you, I clearly don't from all that I've gathered. And then the next thought was, oh, this is the experience of no mind. Like from a Buddhist perspective, you know, the no mind is when the mind's just... Whoosh, 
And I experienced that for moments here and there in meditation or in nature or in a moment of intimacy with someone you care about where the world just sort of falls away and you're just going, whoa, shit, this is just awareness and consciousness in its purest form without the personality and without thought and all of that. So I said, oh, is this no mind? And then the answer, which wasn't a voice, it's sort of your own voice. Well, in my experience, my own voice answering my own question. And I went, no mind. And it spelled it out, no, as in get to know someone. I was like, oh, so it's not no mind as in N-O, it's K-N-W-O, no mind. And I thought, yeah, that's good. And I remember a teacher who used to teach me, dude, you have to know your mind. You have to see your mind. You have to be able to observe from that witness perspective all the games the mind plays in order to not be under its control. And then I had that realization, oh, know your mind. And then another realization came, no, not know of your mind as an objective uh, observation. Know your mind as in get to know it, Mm. as you would get to know a friend, like build an intimate relationship with mind, with thought. And so I'm going, oh, okay. Mm. So I start talking to my mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. From my consciousness, speaking to mind, to the brain, going, hey, I'm Luke. I think. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Uh, Thank you so much for taking care of me Mm. and working so hard to figure life out all the time. I really appreciate you. I mean, I'm sort of summarizing, paraphrasing, but this was the the intent of it. And then saying, hey, listen, I don't need you to really do that much. Um, If I have to balance my checkbook or like plug in a computer or some shit, please get involved. But you're not really needed most of the time. I really appreciate you. That kind of thing, you know, because the mind wow. is what, why we suffer. Is it's so fucking active trying to protect us. And so I really, I started having this relationship with my mind. Wow. Making peace with it. And also, as weird as it might sound, making amends to making an enemy out of my mind. And also... <laughs> it's the least weird thing you've said the whole, the whole time. Also harming my mind with mm. negative thought negative emotion and by pouring a bunch of drugs on it my whole life. You know, I really hurt myself and hurt my mind and it's like fighting my mind my whole life. Mm. And so making peace with it, no mind. And that was the takeaway. And then there was a natural progression where I moved into my heart and started doing the same thing. <sighs> you know, there's ways that you can heal your heart from the outside. Mm. You know, you can have loving experiences. You can have intimacy. Mm. You can allow yourself to be loved by others and things like that. And, um, and then there's the, the inner healing of your heart where you can acknowledge your heart, which, you know, I don't know if it's the physical heart or the heart chakra, or if it's just the soul or the inner child or what it is. I wasn't able to really define it, but in that experience, when I was knowing my mind and introducing myself, I mean, it's very much in my head. And then this was very much in my chest and the energy moved down. And I was just like, oh my God. And then that was part of the realization of how hurt my heart has been. Mm. And so in getting to know it, it was like, God, I'm so sorry that you've been mm. so hurt and so broken. Mm. And then something really cool happened, um, which was, I better start Instagram again. No, you're not. Oh my God. I'll be able to pick it back up. Oh my God. 
was having the realization that, you know, the heart had been so hurt that I found myself in that communication with my heart saying, but that's not going to happen anymore because I'm going to protect you. Mm. And there was this feeling of being a steward or sort of a parent to my heart. And then, you know, these realizations just come like in a millisecond. Then it was, the realization was that, no, you don't protect the heart. You don't keep the, the heart safe by protecting it. You keep it safe by setting it free. And so that was the next level of realization was like, no, that's, that's how I've hurt my heart so much is by closing it and keeping it hidden and erroneously thinking that I'd been protecting it by walling it off in relationships and in so many ways, just never wanting that heart to be exposed, never to be vulnerable, thinking that I'm protecting myself or protecting my heart from being hurt again, as it's been hurt so many times in life, but to really protect the heart that I have to set it free and I have to allow its full expression and allow it to express the love that it's capable of expressing in so many ways and not limit it at all. And that's the way that it's protected because the power of the heart and the resilience of the heart is based on the power of love. And there's no power greater than the power of love in existence in the universe. And so the heart doesn't need my protecting. And in fact, my futile attempts to protect it actually harm it by stifling it. It's like putting something you love like my dog cookie in a little cage thinking I'm protecting her when protecting her is allowing her to run around the yard well provided there's not coyote <laughs> no, yeah. you know you get the metaphor right yeah. so yeah. I mean in this you know who knows how long this went on because again when you're on the medicine there's no there's no time and you know of course you're not looking at your clock you don't have your phone I mean you literally have no idea how much time has passed it's really a strange place to be in time and space and also just physically like your body as i said kind of disappears and so it's really interesting your consciousness is just free to roam so i don't know how long that happened but um as a as a pretty long and deep answer to your question in terms of the takeaway and the uh, i don't want to say advice but perhaps a gift for someone to explore a realization for someone to explore um as their own experiences to really make friends with your mind mm. and the process of thoughts and know that it's not against you and you don't have to fight it, but you have to be aware of its different personalities or aspects of it. And that even when the mind is turning against you in a way that's negative, it believes that it's trying to protect you because it's one of the functions of the mind is to protect the ego and protect the personality yeah. and ultimately the animal physical body and so the mind's doing all this work to manipulate and protect and connive and trick and lie and mm. hide yeah. and, you know, all the stuff that the mind does, but to actually just appreciate that it's trying to do what it thinks is best for your own self-preservation and to appreciate it for that and to make friends with it. And um, by making friends with it, it's like making peace with the enemy. You know, and you realize like you both have the same goal. Like you're the head of a country, they're the head of a country. You both just want the best for your nation, right? Mm -hmm. And so how can you work together? Like Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un or whatever, you know? <laughs> Sorry to say the T word on the show. <laughs> I was going to get fucking triggered. But, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's the, it's the analogy that came to mind, but it really is like two leaders making peace and like mm -hmm. saying, hey, we both want the same thing. Let's work together, right? And so um, like that. And then, as I said, with the heart of just, God, there's no need to protect your heart, but 
you do have to, I think, have a certain degree of discernment, which comes through maturity and life experience and really working on oneself by whatever means to to know when it is safe to let your heart out and, and express love for self and love for others, but that the true healing comes from those relationships. Because mm. the heart and mind are always kind of at war, you know, your heart's like, I want to do the right thing. And then the mind's like, don't do the right thing. You're going to get hurt. And then it shuts down the heart. And there's this weird sort of um, power play that goes on within us, this internal struggle and war that's natural and part of our um, evolution individually and collectively, but our higher self and our higher consciousness, which you're accessing um, in many ways, one of which being by taking ayahuasca, you're able to actually have more, um, creative control over that experience. And so all of those years of meditating, of sitting there and transcending and being like, oh, wow, I'm watching my mind play all these games and Mm. do all these little control things and all this shit. And now I'm watching feelings come up in me as I did moments ago, expressing that part of the story. It's like there's a feeling and there's a thought, then there's the consciousness of who I really am observing that phenomenon as it's happening. And that's a way that we can all learn to live in our life. So I walk out of here and say I'm getting a parking ticket and, you know, I have an instinct to freak out and yell at the parking maid and, you know, get afraid because I'm losing money and all that. Like you can actually live your life in a non-reactive way, not just when you're meditating or in a yoga class or, you know, feeling all groovy, but you can actually interact in the world from that place of higher consciousness and not be at the mercy of the mm. mind and that broken heart that we all have to some degree, that you can, in fact, be healed and you can heal yourself with the awareness and the practice of some of those principles. Mm. Yeah, that's something I've been doing recently with like thinking about the positive intent of our body, mind, and spirit. So, you know, a lot of times with your mind, when you have anxiety, it's like a disassociation between your body and your spirit and everything that's going on. And it's really messages that it's trying to tell you. So it's turning into a negative in your life, but it has a positive intent. Oftentimes with our bodies, like, you know, when I had my hormone journey and I was like putting on weight, it was really like my body trying to protect me, my body trying to balance itself out, my body trying to self-heal when I'm doing all of this damage to it. But so many things that we see as bad happening in the body or the mind or um, anywhere else are really like with positive intention, you know, from your mind's point of view or from your heart's point of view, you know, to keep you protected or keep you safe. It has a positive intention, but our consciousness needs to kind of like transmute that intention. Yeah, that's beautifully stated. And I think that's um, that's one of the errors of many religions is contextualizing ego as sin, right? So if you experience lust or envy or jealousy or yeah. anger or fear, uh, and especially if if those sensations manifest in your behavior that now you've sinned and now you're bad. It's double jeopardy. Now you're the original suffering caused you to behave or thinking in a certain way. And now you're self punishing as a result of that. When in fact, the ego is just trying to protect you. Like it thinks it's doing the right thing. Yeah. Right. Even, and and you can look at people that are quite dark and by all um, counts uh, evil, legitimately evil that they all, believe that they're doing the right thing because they're being driven unconsciously by those core needs and by those instincts that are out of balance. And it gives you a sense of um, not only self-forgiveness and self-compassion, but compassion for others, even if you might not condone their behavior Mm. because it's abhorrent, you can still see 
the rise of a Hitler, the rise of a whomever you mm-hmm. deem to be evil and completely off track, that in every moment they believe they're doing the right thing because they're acting from their own fears and they were just someone who was overtaken by um, these dark forces and they're actually victims. Not to say that there shouldn't be consequences for people that perpetuate perpetrate harm on, on others, of course, but um, that doesn't have to be done with hatred mm. either. It can be done with compassion. You can throw someone in prison <laughs> compassionately. You know, you're overtaken by dark forces. God bless you, forgive you. And also you're not going to be a priest anymore because you're molesting little boys. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. You're out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Wow. But yeah, it's a, it's a great perspective to have because I think it's, for me, self-condemnation and just like self-shaming and all that has been so destructive in my life and just... The lack of the ability to love myself manifests as my lack of ability to do that for others. So it's like if I'm acknowledging my That's own, interesting. yeah, if I'm acknowledging my own humanity and going like, "Wow, you've really fucked some things up," but I love you anyway, Luke. Then when somebody fucks something up on me, it's like, "Hey, listen, I get it. You're doing that thing that I do." There's a lot more humility and self honesty at our um, disposal when we approach things from that way. Mm. Yeah. What is your integration experience been like like first coming back and like because i'm thinking about that a lot i'm like you yeah, know same. none of our I'm friends afraid really I'm gonna go rogue <laughs> like just lose it i i don't i don't know if i believe that but it's more just like having had that experience i just think is something that not everyone experiences and to <laughs> to be so conscious and aware and then come back into society and be with people who maybe are still so much in their pain bodies and i guess what you're saying is i have compassion for them but are you able to kind of process that in a way that feels like healing and right for you or like what has it been like and anything that you've done that's helped you to integrate well, what I would not recommend <laughs> is coming back <laughs> to a city like LA and moving houses Yo, five man. days after yeah. you get back from Costa Rica. So um, yeah. That's just the way things worked out. I found this house and typical. That was, that was my moving date. You know what I mean? Yeah, I um, they're like, wow. I, I found the place and said, hey, you know, I applied and they're like, when can you move in? I'm like, can I move in in a month? And they said, no, you can move in in two weeks. And that was like, oh, that was, would have wow. been, you know, a week before I went to Costa Rica to Rhythmia. So um, now I think I'm starting to integrate a little, but it was, I wouldn't say it was a rough landing because I just came back and got busy. But up until this conversation and a couple others that I've had with people that I'm close to where I've shared some of the experiences I've had, I haven't really had the opportunity to integrate. You know, mm. it's unfortunate that it worked out this way, but it just, it is what it is. But I'm looking forward to getting settled in the house here a bit where I can relax and I have boxes everywhere and all this shit. I have a really hard time when things aren't tidy. I'm super controlling about like neatness. Like that. So I've had to, um, yeah, most ladies uh, tend to appreciate that about me. Thank God. You can do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so... I want to just go out in the woods and go to hot springs and like, whoa, take a breather. But I came back and I have my business school of style. And that's like, we're in the middle of a a launch to teach people how to be a stylist. And um, so there's that. And then, you know, recording these episodes. So I haven't had a really smooth integration. I'm just doing the best Mm -hmm. I can. But yeah, I'm spending a lot of time, you know, geeking out on CB2.com and shit. And I'm like, dude, I need to be out like hiking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> Yesterday, I did like two home goods trips. I was like four hour journey and like 
fucking geeking out on, you know, kitchen storage at home goods. I'm like, really? Wow, this is not what I envisioned. <laughs> Literally <laughs> the neon lights in there. Yeah, like, really. Uh-huh. Coupon so, clipping. So for 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 you two and anyone that's going to have an experience like that, which kind of goes back to what you're saying, well, you could do it in a nice house in Beverly Hills. I mean, that might work, but man, if I could do it over again, I probably would have stayed in Costa Rica a week after and just went and chilled and gotten some sun and just really journal, meditate, yeah, you know, sleep a lot. Wow. Cause there is a bit of sleep deprivation in the experience. Cause you go late at night and you know, like I can't really sleep in. I, I wake up fairly early, even if I stay up late. So mm-hmm. if I could do it over again, I probably would have done it that way. And if not, I would have come back and, you know, had an autoresponder on my email and told all my friends and, you know, business associates like, Hey, I'm, I'm still on retreat. It's a two week thing. I'm going away for a week. I'm coming back to integrate for a week and kind of, you know, called off the, um, you know, commitments and things like that, but Mm -hmm. it is what it is. I'm, I'm doing fine. I think I'll, um, I think I'll, you know, hopefully get settled in here and, then be able to actually kind of do that here at home because I have a yard now if it ever stops raining. I'm grateful yeah. for the rain, but mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting out and getting some sun. And, you know, my walking the dog now is kind of a hike up into the canyon here. So um, I think getting outside will help a lot. And going and doing some float tanks. Yeah, You know, it's funny. There's things that I do that um, are very uh, reminiscent of the plant medicine. And when I was on ayahuasca, I was like, holy shit, this is like a float tank. And also kundalini yoga. There's a lot keep of... keep getting called to kundalini. There's a lot of... Um, I think a lot of things you do in kundalini yoga release DMT in your brain, seriously. Especially a lot of the breath mm-hmm. work. Because there was a lot of times I was on ayahuasca and I'm like, hmm, I know this feeling. Where do I know this feeling? <laughs> oh, my oh my God. I've had this same sort of healing experience in kundalini yoga. Wow. Which is interesting. Yeah. So there's other ways that you can access... Uh, the plant medicine energy. And I think those would be good things to do for your integration is to do things kind of in the real world plane here Mm. in your normal day-to-day life that keep you anchored to that other reality or other um, interpretation of consciousness. Wow. Last question for me on another note. What are some... I had no idea that we were going to like spend so much time on that. But it's... (laughs) Same, I didn't either. You know what? But here's the deal. It's it's really hard to... uh, it's hard to tell the story of, you know, four ayahuasca ceremonies without sort of elaborating because it's yes. so, it's so profound. You know, there's so many mm. other things to talk about, but uh, I guess it's timely since y'all Very. are going to have that experience. It might help you to prep and even for someone else that is thinking about doing it also. I think the lessons too, though, like I think the overall lessons that you had are universal and beautiful. They and, are. You know, that's a lot of the reason is like we can go do the journey, but the lessons that we learn are you know, going to be applicable to our lives and our trauma, but also too, for a lot of the women that listen to the podcast, like what you said about like befriending your mind, like anyone can apply that today. So um, I think that was really special. Changing, changing gears. What are some health trends we could look forward to like seeing in 2019? Like I see you as someone that is like so ahead of the game. Like you had that one machine. The biocharger. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, we can go do one in between recordings if you guys Mm -hmm. want, you know, have some tea or a snack Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. do the biocharger. Yeah. That thing's insane. Um, You know, it's funny. I mean, I am, I'm Mm -hmm. really into, I'm into the heavy hitter technology. I like the big devices that are a few thousand dollars that you put them on or you sit in front of them and 20 minutes later, you're like, whoa, shit, I feel great. (laughs) I want to feel something. Yeah. 
And same thing with supplements. There's things you take that are just good. I take a great um, liposomal sublingual B vitamin complex because, you know. Who makes it? Uh, Quicksilver Scientific. Okay. As far as any supplements go, that's pretty much the, that aren't herbs or something, yeah. but um, like vitamins and things. That's the company that I mostly use because you just get more bang for your buck. You absorb more of them. They have a different delivery system. They're um, in a little fat molecule. And so they're more bioavailable. So there's things like that, but I don't like squirt some vitamin B under my tongue and be like, whoa, damn, I feel lit. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I should probably take this because, you know, you can only mm-hmm. eat so much red meat and other sources of B vitamins. So, um, you know, the supplements and stuff are fun and the technology is fun, but the more I get into this stuff and the more I learn about it and the more brilliant people that I interview on my podcast, I swear to God, it just, it keeps getting pared down and more simple and more simple and it becomes more clear. And that is really what is wrong with the human race when it comes to our health is that we are now living completely as caged zoo animals. Mm. and the ways in which we live are not natural Mm. to human or any animal's biology. And we've not evolved to live in the ways that we live. So for example, most of us spend most of our time living inside a square box like this room. And then we leave this square box and we go into another square box called the living room or another square box called the kitchen, the square box called the bedroom. Then we go get in a little rectangle box called a car. Then we go over to Whole Foods or Target and we get in a giant box. We walk around that box, get back in our moving box, take the moving box back to the box we started out with, which is our living room, etc. And so we live in these completely unnatural environments, which are full of all these electric currents, which are all around us right now. There's 60 hertz running through all these walls and into our headphones. There's a Wi-Fi router right there that's blasting non-native EMF or could just say radiation for short. Uh, We have these studio lights in here that are a really unnatural, non-native spectrum of blue light that does not exist in the sun. Um, Those lights eliminate all of the other colors of the rainbow that's inherent in natural light. Uh, We're uh, breathing in stagnant air that um, is full of pollution from the paint and from all of the glue and all the furniture and the dye in this rug and the formaldehyde in our clothing and the protectant that's sprayed on the chairs and um, the dander from the pet that would never live indoors if you were a natural roaming hunter-gatherer person, mm. etc. And so, and then if we go and drink some water out of the tap, we're drinking fluoride, which calcifies your pineal gland. We're drinking thousands of uh, microdoses of psychoactive drugs, birth control pills, etc., that have been peed and pooped out of someone else's body and then recycled back into the municipal water supply in Los Angeles. Now that all sounds very paranoid and conspir- conspiratorial and negative, but It's just the reality of how we live. We're totally domesticated. And if you take a lion from the Sahara Desert, that's that's 100% of its life for the first 10 years has been living out there in the wild in nature and you put it in the San Diego Zoo and you start feeding it kibble, it gets sick and gets all these diseases that no other lions in the wild get and it fucking dies early, right? And that's what happens to people. We eat foods that aren't part of a natural human Mm -hmm. diet. We live in an unnatural environment. We don't breathe air. We live also in 68 degrees for most of our lives. There's very few places on the planet that remain at 68 degrees the entire time. I mean, if you live next to the equator, you might be like in the 90s all the time year round, but most of us have ancestry that's migrated from elsewhere. Uh, And so 
we're not exposed to different temperatures, hot and mm-hmm. cold, and we're just very domesticated zoo animals. And like I said, when you put an animal inside a zoo environment, it doesn't thrive. And so all of the metabolic diseases, um, all of the chronic diseases, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, et cetera, are largely environmental and of course due to eating an unnatural processed toxic diet. So I said all that to say that the antidote to that, generally speaking, is not a machine or a supplement because that's the easy way out that we all, including myself, want to take. And those are like the bells and whistles and the thing that's like shiny that makes a bunch of noises and all that. And I love all that stuff. And I love my supplements. I love herbalism. I love eating great, wholesome, organic food. It's all good. Moving your body, exercising in various ways, all good stuff. But really the fastest way to move the needle and the health trend is that we have to get in alignment with nature. And some of the ways that you can do that are exposing yourself to extreme temperatures. That's the first one. So doing cryotherapy or preferably ice baths or at least cold showers and doing infrared saunas, uh, getting outdoors without a bunch of clothes on and experiencing what it's like to freeze your ass off, getting outdoors, getting tons of sun on as much of your naked body as possible without burning, which is, I have friends, I have one friend, Harry, he's, he looks Irish, but he's whatever type of Jewish is like red hair with flecker, freckles. I forget. He told me, he's like, no, I'm this other Jewish lineage. We're redheads. I was like, wow, you look so Irish. Um, maybe he's an Irish Jew. I forget the name, but, um, he used some of the protocols that I've learned and now he can go out in the sun like a champ. I mean, I'm olive skin. I'm part Italian, so I don't really get sunburned unless I'm on the beach in Rio for like five hours or something. But I'm, I can safely sun and I always have what's called a solar callus because even in the winter, I go out and find a yard somewhere and kind of get naked in the sun. But even fair-skinned people can get used to the sun and also just drinking pure spring water. Uh, our bodies are made up of you know 70 to 90% water and if and that means all of your fluids, including your lymph and your blood and any other tears, saliva, all fluids your body produces are made of water. And so if your inner fish tank, which is really what the human body is, is made of the tap water that I described earlier, even if it came in a kombucha of like filtered water that's not really that filtered, or drinking Starbucks. And wow. most of us think that mm-hmm. we don't drink tap water because we maybe buy a good bottled water or have a filter or something, but um, if you drink bottled drinks, you're drinking a lot of tap water. Wow! And most companies, uh, because of the bottom line of profitability, aren't going to use like pristine, triple filtered reverse osmosis or spring water, something as their base water. So if you drink beer, if you drink wine, wow. even a natural soda, a kombucha, a tea, you're drinking a lot of tap water. And so your fish tank of a human body, that 70 to 90% of you is made up of a toxic soup that was formerly water, but is now a processed clear liquid called water. So getting outdoors and getting sun, especially sun, um, natural sunlight in your eyes, not looking at the sun, although that's a really powerful practice is watching the sunrise and the sunset. Difficult for me to do here because I have to get up at like 6.30 in the morning when it's dark and walk up the hill or drive up the hill to see the sunset because I'm in a canyon, which really sucks. Um, But sun gazing can only be done right when the sun's setting the first few minutes and right when it's um, going, uh, coming up because it's far away and there's not UV, which is what would hurt your eyes if you look at the sun directly at noon or something like that. There's not very much blue light. It's mostly red light at that time. But um, we live behind glass so much of the time. And speaking of hormones, you know, our hormones and neurotransmitters are mostly controlled by light. And so are the microbes in your gut. They're controlled by light and your circadian rhythm. And so 
because we've invented the incandescent bulb and now these super toxic LED and fluorescent bulbs that most of us live under, um, we've tricked our biology into thinking that it's a different time of day. And even when you ride in a car, you're like, oh, it's so bright. Or I love this room. It gets tons of natural light. It's not natural light if it's behind glass because glass is not natural. You can't go like up a mountain and find mm-hmm. a glass wall in a tree or <laughs> in a rock. It just, it's, a, it's a man-made thing. And you cut off half of the UV spectrum when you're behind glass. So if you wear contacts, if you wear sunglasses, glasses, most of us are mostly light deprived. And light is what regulates your melatonin, uh, light on your sun, on your skin, um, regulates your vitamin D3 levels, which is not really a vitamin, but a hormone. And so wow. all of us that have jacked up hormones, especially women listening, if you have fucking hormone problems, thyroid problems, endocrine system problems, I guarantee you light is the problem, not the fact that you eat too much fucking granola or whatever. Wow. Or not enough or too many bananas. Or, yeah, yeah. It's not what you're eating. It's not what you're eating. I mean, you have to have healthy fats to have healthy hormones, yeah, but yeah. the synthesis of those fats and cholesterol, good cholesterol into hormones is done by light. So my advice and the latest trend is the oldest trend, which is we have to undomesticate ourselves and we have to get outdoors. That's the number one thing. You have to get natural sunlight in your eyes and on your body as much as possible. Yeah. A little harder to do for women because you can't just like, I walk up the street, I just take my shirt off, you know, and you can't really do that unless you want to get a lot of attention as a female. But if you have a yard somewhere where you can go topless and hopefully even bottomless, I mean, even a little balcony and you can mm-hmm. get sun on your body, even 20 minutes a day, like between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., solar noon, that's when the sun is the most powerful. And if you get your vitamin D levels up from doing that um, and you know, just get outdoors a lot more in general, so many of those problems will be automatically fixed. And then you can fine tune the diet and things like that and you're fucking winning. Wow. Yeah, so I love that. That was yeah. Amazing. So it's, you know, it's a in depth answer, but like it, the problem really is that simple. I love that. And this is you know, this is twenty two years of, of yeah. my own research and also interviewing some of the most brilliant yeah. scientists and doctors in the world on my show. And some of them are a little misguided, or they're going for the low hanging fruit, which is like take this vitamin, mm. use this device. And some of those things are supportive, and I love all those things. But I, I really truly believe we wouldn't really need supplements if we were living in accordance with nature. Agreed. Hundred mm, percent. Yeah. So wow. that's my that's my takeaway. <laughs> um, last question for me. Uh, you mentioned just that um, going back to ayahuasca that it opened your heart and that you didn't feel like you needed to protect it anymore. So, like, what have you felt in terms of like your relationships and you know friends, family, romantic, just feeling like going forward? Oh, How does it a, feel different? Oh my god, that is a great question because I think subjectively, that's the biggest change. And I think when you guys interviewed me before, I was like in a celibate. celibate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah Which you was, were different. Went on yeah. for over a year and a half. I think I was, wow. I don't know, 20 months or something like wow. that. You know, no, I mean, I didn't even like like a girl's picture on Instagram, like nothing, no eye contact, no flirting, no funny business because it was just, I mean, they can go back and listen to that episode, but yeah. I really wanted to do a hard reset for the first time in my life and just start anew and do things differently. Yeah. So I wasn't achieving the results in in my intimate relationships that I wanted and really wanted to be in a healthy long-term relationship and do the whole thing, mm-hmm. which I'd never really wanted before. I was kind of like, ah. 
that's kind of sounds like prison. Like, totally. <laughs> I like just run around and have yeah, fun. Boring. You know, yeah. It's like, what? Who would want to settle down? I mean, that's how warped I used to be. Like in my 20s and 30s, if a friend of mm. mine's like, oh, I met this girl, I'm going to ask her to marry me. I mean, I would like, I wouldn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I'd be like, oh, what a dumbass. <laughs> I'd seriously, or I would see someone like a guy, see a kid like holding a kid's one-year-old and I'd be like, oh, that guy's fucked. I mean, this is like how warped <laughs> yeah. my mind was because I viewed the loss of quote unquote freedom as being imprisoned, you know, yeah. which goes back to a lot of childhood issues and trauma and shit that we don't have time to talk about. But um, the real prison is to not be free to love and to not be fully expressed that and to be fully seen and to be fully vulnerable and intimate and all of that. So I started to have that realization, which is why I took a break from dating and did a lot of inner work. And I mean, just interviewed a bunch of people about love and intimacy mm-hmm. and romance and sex and relationships and read tons of books and audiobooks. I mean, that's the shit that I've been working on. And I know that you can't really learn something unless you're doing it. Otherwise you're learning about it. You're not learning from it. So mm. while I was on the break, I'm learning about something, trying to get a better idea of it or just broaden my horizons and my understanding of it. But I knew at some point I would have to practice what I was learning and that's where the true learning Happened. So as it pertains to the ayahuasca, and I always want to like tread lightly. (laughs) I'm super, uh, you know, open about things, but not necessarily everyone in my life shares that and and all that. But, um, you know, I had been dating someone uh, for a bit when I, when I went there and um, she's had a lot of experience with plant medicine. And Mm -hmm. so by no means was it a reason that I went because I already told you the reasons, but I had a feeling that we would be able to relate on a certain level, having Mm -hmm. shared an experience like that. And we talked quite a bit when I was there, which was great. It was a really um, beautiful experience to be able to process what I was going through with someone who had had similar experiences and had the context to be able to hold what I was sharing. And so we would have really great close FaceTimes. And I felt um, my heart really opening while I was there, just in general, but specifically with her. And I was just like, whoa, this is... I've never had these types of conversations with a potential partner or someone that I'm starting to get to know. So, so that was really, um, that was a really beautiful experience. And I think how it's changed me is I just, it's so weird because I know that I used to be so afraid of getting close to someone and so involved. And I really avoided a certain depth of intimacy for all of my adult life, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing, but there was definitely a limit on, my capacity to be seen and to be vulnerable and to be close and to really communicate my truth to someone, especially in the context of say, like you get triggered by something and I would just go and try and figure it out on my own and like freak the fuck out, talk to the homies like, okay, I got to fix this shit. I feel uncomfortable. And then after having that experience, um, I've had a couple of situations in which things are coming up within me and I've been able to just communicate that very openly and honestly in a way that like I would never, ever be able to feel safe and vulnerable enough to do so. And that's pretty new. And that can be attributed to my heart opening and having those experiences, but also having someone that's developed enough and mature enough to be able to hold space for that. Yes. And to be trustworthy and to be gentle and um, compassionate and to have a high degree of understanding, emotional intelligence and empathy and to be able to really receive that. Um, so it's a pretty recent um, development in life in terms of a relationship. But I would say that um, that experience with the ayahuasca has definitely enabled me to feel closer and more connected. And also, I just don't really have any fear. 
Like I just feel I'm good. I have nothing to worry about. And um, also trusting my heart and having that relationship with my heart that I think that I'm able to really trust my discernment and to be honest with myself about um, the way in which I'm relating and who I'm relating to, that I'm not, you know, getting myself into, you know, a negative situation or dangerous situation. I'm like, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. And I think that I'm getting to know someone that's absolutely fucking fabulous and stellar. Mm -hmm. And so um, part of it's just learning to trust myself, not only the other person, but to be able to know like, no, I know what I'm fucking doing here. Yeah. I'm good. I'm not like, I'm being thoughtful about the way in which I'm getting to know someone also thoughtful about um, whom I'm getting to know. I didn't just like rush into it and, and all that stuff. And the other weird thing is I, I didn't listen to the advice of some pretty wise people that said, Hey, when you come out of this work on yourself phase, you should just go date a bunch of people so that you don't just like, pick the first person you date or something like that. And I just, that was the one piece of advice I didn't really follow. Mm. And I went on a couple of dates with someone and I thought, I honestly can't, I'm just not interested in meeting anyone else. I'm, there's enough potential here that I was wanting to just pursue that, you know, and that's what I've done. So it's been really fortuitous in that sense that I haven't, cause I fucking hate dating. <laughs> Let's yeah, be honest. Like, yeah, oh I mean, my God. Truly. I was like, part of the reason I went so long is I was just dreading like, well, I mean, mm. well, I'm like, I have to get on these apps and like do this thing. Like, yeah, like no, dude, <laughs> I just can't do it. And so it was a very sort of natural progression um, in the way that I met someone, but I'm like, oh, thank God. I didn't have to go through that whole thing. Totally. I feel like we're I'm so just, happy for you. Yeah, I'm just, truly. I'm too old for that. So yeah. So the heart opening, um, came at a really great time because I have uh, an opportunity to explore more of that opening and there's someone there to share that experience who um, is totally available for that and has also opened in similar yeah. ways themselves, which is cool. It's a, it's a really neat common ground to be able to share because mm -hmm. if you've had the experience like you two are about to have um, and you talk to someone else who has, you're sort of like, I don't know, not in like a, um, a clicky way, but you're in the club in the sense that you've both been in this other dimension that many other people outside of that experience probably have not had such a visceral, a visceral experience of. Right. So you can be like, you know, when you're like just coming on the medicine and mm -hmm. this and that happens, they're like, yeah. And then there's <laughs> other happens, you're like, yeah. And then the ETs come. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I can't wait like, for the ETs. <laughs> not everyone had the ET vibes, but from what I, I understand, I it's, it's quite common. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, see, when I say that, it's, it's funny because it wasn't like I saw little grays or like mm. green. There was no like, I never saw any faces or people or beans or animals. None of that. It was just a sense that you're not alone. Like a presence. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. But a huge universal presence, not an individualized entity mm. presence, mm -hmm. but just like a field of presence or intelligence. Wow that not, wasn't aliens in terms of like not from the planet or Martians or something, but alien in that it's alien to this third dimension, mm, right? Cool. It's, there's, I mean, and this is, it's scientific fact that there are multitudes of dimensions beyond the experience of our senses, right? So we know that there are other dimensions, but we can't really tell when we're in them or manage how we come in or out of them. We're designed to live in the third dimension with periodic access to some of those other spiritual realms. But the medicine just catapults you into the other realms. And in my experience of the realms, there were <laughs> extraterrestrial, like I guess ET is not the right word because that would mean they're not from the earth, but they're not from this 
third dimension and you have access to them in those other dimensions that you visit. And that's where you're given those healings and those realizations. So can't wait to meet them. Yeah. Hanging out with someone who's like, oh yeah, I, I know that energy field. I know that consciousness. I know those dimensions Mm. is really valuable. It's, mm. it's very cool. And and the and last thing I'll say is like, and this I'm sure will happen to you. You're going to be on the medicine going, okay, I need to tell my Aunt Judy about this. My mom definitely needs to do this. My brother, <laughs> you're, you're going to start thinking of like every person, you're like, they have to come here. They have to do this because the healing that takes place. I also had the realization I could see so many people in my life that I've loved or that I loved and how hurt they've been also. And I could see the depth of their suffering in the same way that I was able to see the depth of my suffering. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, oh my God, how am I going to resist proselytizing and coming back and be like, hey, you need to go to Costa Rica, which I have not done to anyone, thankfully, because I have a little bit of discernment in that way. But yeah, that was a big part of it too, is you're like, oh my God, I want to share this with all the people that I'm close to so we can relate on this level. But you have to leave it up to sort of fate, karma, and destiny if that's... um if that serves the highest good for them to have mm-hmm. that experience. Yes. But I have to say, dating someone who's had the experience is pretty magical. That's going on my list now. Yeah, you got to add yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay did her list. You got to add that. I was yeah. a aficionado. <laughs> That's funny because I made a list and it didn't have that on it because I hadn't had the experience myself wow. yet. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah. She hadn't either. So mm-hmm. it's going now. Yeah. Um, where can people connect with you? Well, my website's lukestory.com with an EY and um, my podcast, The Lifestylist Podcast is accessible there, um, Spotify, iTunes, all of that. And then on social media, at Luke Story is my Instagram. And that's the one, yeah, S-T-O-R-E-Y. And that's the one I'm most active on. I do all kinds of wacky stuff on my stories and live feeds like we're doing right now and pretty much document anything I do that would be um, inspiring or educational or interesting to anyone. So Mm -hmm. follow me on Insta, listen to the podcast and we're halfway there. Yeah. yeah, it's an incredible podcast. You have to yeah, listen. Thank you're, you. It's already. amazing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We love you. All right, Thank guys. Thank you so we'll much. See you later. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Well, that brings this episode to a close. I want to thank you for joining me for this conversation. As I went through to uh, do some show notes for this particular conversation, I had a really good time reflecting back on this period in my life. So much has evolved and changed just in one year. And it just goes to show how spiritual commitment with the assistance of all of the different modalities from plant medicines to breath work, to kundalini yoga, to meditation, to prayer, spending quality time with quality people uh, really do serve the ultimate purpose of awakening. So it was really fun actually to revisit this one. And uh, I don't like using the word uh, pride because I think it's kind of a lower state, but uh, let's just say I'm very grateful to be able to have had this experience uh, of recording this podcast and then sharing it with you. So I trust that you enjoyed it. If you're here at the end of the show, chances are that you got something out of it. If that is in fact the case, I'll take a moment now to encourage you to please share this episode with a friend. The girls at Almost 30 would be most appreciative, as would I. And absolutely, don't forget to check in with us on Tuesday for Dr. Alexander Wunsch, where we take a really deep and scientific look at the negative impact of artificial lighting. And that one is going to blow your mind. And you're probably going to want to change all the light bulbs in your whole house while you're listening to it. Uh, But fret not, it's a solution-based episode. And then again, Friday, we've got Nicholas Pino, one of the foremost EMF experts in the world, who's weighing in uh, on the uh, perhaps overreaction of the medical establishment, government agencies, and uh, mainstream media at the current crisis. So we take a non-tinfoil approach, non-conspiratorial approach to the realities of the reaction to the COVID-9 issue, uh, the possible correlation between 5G 
tech censorship, et cetera. So uh, that's one you don't want to miss. It's very timely and I would say uh, quite balanced. So make sure you subscribe to the show. And again, if you're enjoying these episodes, please just take a moment to click that share button and send it to a couple friends. And for those of you that uh, are continually posting these episodes in your Instagram stories, I do my best to repost them. Maybe I'll help you uh, get some more followers if that's what you're after. Uh, If you're just doing that to support the show, I greatly appreciate that. And I really believe in the information that's being shared here on the Lifestylist podcast. Uh, I'm very thoughtful about the guests that I pick. I want you to know that I, I uh, I don't do that without careful consideration. I get a lot of inquiries for people that want to be on the show, for which I'm so humbled and grateful. But I have a very tightly curated list of people that I am seeking out or have sought out to appear on the show. And this is my baby. And I'm very conscientious about the information that I bring to you. And uh, every guest I have has a special meaning to me, including the two that are upcoming this week. And so, uh, you know, don't think this is all happening by accident. There is a method to my madness. What you can expect from me for uh, the rest of this year at the time of this recording in 2020 is really more focus on consciousness and um, up-leveling our own spiritual growth. And uh, I think that that's really what is needed at this time. Now, of course, I've dropped some bombs because I find that the government overreach and tech censorship that we've been witnessing as a result of this uh, current situation have been so shocking and um, just, quite frankly, revolting that I've been Uh, inclined to drop a few episodes into the publishing feed of this show that are pertinent to this time. And uh, a few of those have been slightly controversial, and I'm not apologizing for that. I think we need to hear uh, alternative points of view, and we really need to think critically at this time in history because we are at a turning point. Uh, But my commitment to you is to help elevate consciousness. And while I might build awareness around some of these issues, Uh, I am all about the solution. So the upcoming shows are all really going to be very solution-oriented, and we're going to be moving more into the metaphysical and a bit out of the physical. I think there's a lot of great information out there on how to achieve physical health, and there are so many biohacking podcasts and experts out there that I look to for answers. And uh, I think what we really need is the ability to expand our awareness, our consciousness, and uh, usher in this grand awakening that we are in the process of participating in and witnessing. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Lifestylist Podcast, and I'll see you soon.